0: This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion. Break down each week's brand new episode of the sixth live-action Star Trek series with us every Monday during the season. To subscribe on your iPhone, Android, or other device, visit our website at DiscoveringTrek.com.
1: Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Nerys from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma
2: Quadrant, the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson.
0: will show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you've downloaded, because uh, we think you're going to enjoy what we have for you. Uh, let me uh, bring in my co-host, the incredible Dan Davidson, he who hosts Discovering Trek. And uh, Dan, we're, we're going to do something special again this week as part of our two-part special preview.
1: Yes, thank you for that introduction, Bill. Uh, Always great to be here. Yeah, we had an amazing time last week with Episode 1, and oh my god, mind blown after Episode 1, but uh, we're doing it again. Episode 2 has dropped, and we are going to be doing Episode 2 here on Trek Geeks of Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion, so that you can see and hear, I should say, everything that took place in Episode 2 it's one thing that Star Trek is back on TV. It's another thing that we're now two episodes in, and already I just cannot even believe what I've been seeing.
0: Uh, me either. On you know, You had the chance to attend the premiere in Los Angeles, so you got to see it before I did, and I know that it was really hard for you to contain that excitement for a few days. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs>
1: Oh, no, you're not wrong. It was very, very difficult. There were so many things I wanted to tell you. I wanted to call you afterwards from when I was out in L.A. to go back a couple of, uh, of a week or so. But A, it was three hours behind and you were probably sleeping. And B, you would have driven to L.A. and killed me if I had talked to you about anything that happened in that premiere episode. But uh, we got that one out of the way. We're on to episode two. And as we said last week, we want all of our Trek Geek listeners to hear what we have to say about Star Trek Discovery over on Discovering Trek. So no better way that we can think of than to have episode two drop right here as well this week uh, to talk about amazing Star Trek content.
0: And Dan, joining us for that conversation is our dear friend, Mr. Norman Lau from the Fandom Podcast Network. Uh, As you may recall, Norm hosted our 100th epic episode earlier this year and did such an amazing job with it. You know, Norm is a real pro, and he's a huge original series fan. So it made sense that we had to bring him in for this discussion. So it's you, it's me, and it's Norm, just like the old times, buddy.
1: Ah, oh, God, it's so great. You know, Norm is a great guy. It was so great to have him on episode 100, and I'm I'm really really excited to have him on uh, this episode two of Discovering Trek. And you know, maybe even he will uh, listen in very closely for that special fan sketch keyword that we're going to be dropping at some point uh, for some awesome fan set stuff. So stay tuned, listen in. We do want to remind everyone that there are spoilers aplenty uh, in this episode two of Discovering Trek. So if you have not seen episode two yet, please stop this podcast right now, go watch it on CBS All Access, and then come back, listen here, or go right over to Discovering Trek and listen there as well. And uh, we are very, very excited about episode two, and we hope you enjoy it.
0: This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening for this week's code for a special offer just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with fansets online at fansets.com.
1: So the war begins, a gut-wrenching loss, and hey, an actual punishment in Star Trek the arc continues and it's happening with guns blazing literally folks here we are about to discuss the latest episode of star trek discovery and i cannot believe what we have seen already buckle up because we are discovering trek Welcome to Episode 2 of Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion presented by Fansets. My name is Dan Davidson, and I am your co-host, and I am so happy to be here with you folks today. As always, this is the place to get the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. And tonight, we are going to deep dive into Episode 2 battle at the binary stars, as well as get our thoughts as to what we think might happen next. But more importantly, we're also going to discuss what this week's episode helped us discover about our humanity today. And when I say we, you know, I just want to take the time to introduce a man who really needs no introduction. Joining me as he always does and always will is my friend, my brother, and my Trek guru the one and only amazingly talented co-host bill smith bill
0: here we are at episode two man i'm psyched i can't wait to talk about this episode this sort of second half of of a prologue if you will and uh it's great to be here dan thanks
1: it's good to have you here man and and we're not here alone as every week we're going to bring somebody or multiple people onto the show to talk about discovery and today wow we are very excited about today's guest
0: well you know he's one of our favorite people in the alpha quadrant he's the co-founder of the fandom podcast network and the co-host of blood of kings a highlander podcast dan he was also the host of our epic 100th episode of the trek geeks podcast there can be only one and he's the one and only norman Lau. norm welcome to discovering trek my friend
2: it's a real honor to be here back with you on the air, albeit in a different format, because the last time I was here, I was on the Trek Geek show, and now I'm here with Discovering Trek. I'm really excited to, to talk about this show. This show is, there's so many feels about this show. It's I'm kind of like jumping out of my skin. First of all, I'll, I'll admit that I'm a little nervous being on the second show because you guys have just upped your game so much. You guys sound so pro, and you have sponsors sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing in this chair. So <laughs> No, but seriously, well, though, thank you for having me back on.
1: It is our pleasure, you know Norm, you know, we were so honored and privileged to have you as our special guest host when we did our 100th episode over at Trek Geeks. So Bill and I knew that we had to have you here on Discovering Trek as soon as we could get you on, so we're glad that you're here to talk about episode 2 and in what our opinion is has already become a legendary Star Trek saga.
2: Oh, I think so. There's there's a certain feeling that you get when you see something when something's done right presented right and there's an immediate response especially with with the way that we're approaching watching star trek and i think that the best way that anyone can approach watching this particular new show is with expectations and an open mind and an open heart i'm going to steal a line from a very popular tv show called friday night lights when you have clear eyes and you have an open heart you can't lose and that's the way
0: I'm approaching
2: this show.
1: That kind of makes me want to start watching Friday Night Lights, I
0: guess. <laughs> <laughs> My wife actually is right now and she's hooked on it. So I, I recommend it.
2: Well, that was there serendipitous that I brought that up. Wow. I know,
0: right? Hmm. Awesome plug.
1: Well, you know what? Uh, before we get into this week's episode, Bill, if there are any other TV shows that you might want our listeners to tell us about, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell them how they can contact us as well as what they think about, oh, I don't know, a little show about Star Trek
0: called Battle of the Binary Stars. <laughs> I can do that, Dan. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. You can find us on Twitter at Discovering Trek and on Facebook. We can be found at Facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. There you can join in on the discussion and even leave us comments, questions, or suggestions. And you know, you can also send us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trek geeks. Please do remember, though, that any comments you leave us may be used on an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. And plus, if you don't know by now, you can subscribe to this year' podcast by searching for Discovering Trek on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or you can head straight over to DiscoveringTrek.com. And uh, if you would rate and review the podcast, we truly would appreciate that. It will help other Star Trek fans find the show. Dan. Thanks, buddy.
1: From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers, so if you haven't watched Episode 2 of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now, head on over to CBS All Access and watch Episode 2, because failure to do that, you are going to risk finding out plot developments and character details for Battle at the Binary Stars. <laughs>
0: When we last left the crew of the USS Shenzhou, there were a bunch of Klingon ships. And them. Just them. We get a bit of a replay at the tail end of episode one, and then we flash back to the moment where Michael Burnham first met Philippa Georgiou, thanks to Sarek. The ambassador had brought his ward there to learn from the Starfleet captain, but Burnham wanted to join the Vulcan expeditionary group. Things with Georgiou are awkward at first, but they manage to find some common ground with the appreciation of each other's qualities. Giorgio takes her to the bridge and invites her to join the crew. Back in the here and now, Burnham observes that 24 Klingon ships have arrived at their location, the same number as the number of the houses in the Klingon Empire, and she theorizes that someone wants to get the band back together. Georgiou relieves Burnham of her duties and sends her off to the brig. Over on Takuvma's ship, the other Klingon's conference call. He calls for unity and for all to join his house and to remain Klingon and oppose the Federation that mixes human, Vulcan, Tellarites, and Andorians. Just then, more Starfleet ships appear in the area as backup. Georgie sends a message to the Klingons, inviting them into a dialogue. She ends her message with, We come in peace, but Takuvma calls it a lie and the Klingons open fire on the Starfleet ships. The battle begins. Connor ends up in the brig while looking for the medbay. He goes on about how they're explorers and not soldiers, and then gets sucked out into space when the Shenzhou's hull is breached. Kid might as well have been wearing a red shirt. Burnham gets knocked unconscious, and we get another flashback. This time it's Sarek coming to her aid after an attack on her school. He mind-melds with her to bring her back to consciousness. Saru tells Georgiou that there's a major hull breach in the brig. Burnham then sees Sarek. He's communicating with her because she's carrying part of his Katra since that mind meld from her childhood, and now he can apparently communicate with her telepathically. He implores her to help her people. The battle wages on. The Shenzhou is adrift and crippled. She can't move, and she has no weapons. As they prepare to evacuate, they're tractored by the USS Europa and Admiral Anderson. The Admiral proposes a ceasefire to Tecumva, and he agrees, until moments later when his cloaked ship rams the Europa. The Europa self-destructs. The other Klingon ships head for Kronos, leaving only Tecumva's flagship behind. Burnham uses some word foo on the computer to get herself out of the brig, Saru and Georju come up with a plan to get photon warheads over to the Klingon ship to do some real damage. The plan gets modified, though, when Tekuvma starts retrieving all of the fallen Klingons from the vacuum of space. They beam a warhead onto a dead Klingon, and it detonates aboard the Klingon ship. Burnham and Georgiou beam over to the Klingon ship to capture Tekuvma. A fight ensues. T'Kuvma stabs Georju in the heart. Burnham phasers Tekuvma. She tries to get Georgiou's body back, but it's left behind. Takuvma apparently dies in Vok's arms, and the Shenzhou is evacuated. Burnham pleads guilty to a list of of charges levied against her, including mutiny and assaulting an officer. She laments everything she has lost in trying to protect them from war. She's stripped of rank and sentenced to prison for life.
1: You know, man... That is the best recap you have ever done on the show, but since it's only the second one, I don't know what else to say, but that was awesome. Very, very well done. Nice job. Norm, what'd you think, man?
2: I think that was probably the second best recap I've heard so far on the show. And uh, no, I, you did a great job. I mean, these are very dense stories already. Yeah. Yeah. When you really think about it, when you're trying to expound and extrapolate on on what you're seeing there is so much here. It's so rich, and you can mine so so much content out of it already.
0: You know, we have a running joke on Trek Geeks about trying to do the recap in three minutes. And in episode two of Star Trek Discovery, I'm here to tell you it is just not possible. I tried. <laughs> Maybe for discovering
1: Trek, we can up that to five minutes because there's so much going on.
0: Oh, uh, I are- do
2: appreciate the word foo, though. I thought that was pretty cool. Thank you. Thank <laughs> like you. That. You're both yeah.
0: gracious and most kind.
1: Hmm. (laughs) so there's obviously a lot of discussion points in this second episode um i I think one of the things that i want to talk about first with you guys is i brought this up over on uh on trek geeks i believe it was trek geeks uh, or actually no i think it was actually over on trek ranks with jim morehouse a couple weeks ago is one of the things that i'm a little concerned about with with discovery being on cbs all access and the way that television is going today is nobody's safe Anybody could die at any moment. And they sure put that to the test in episode two with Ensign Connor. As Bill said, it looks like Takuvma, but the big one I think for everyone was Captain Georgiou. What do you think, Norm?
2: Yes. I mean, you're right. There's, There's a certain risk factor now because risk is their business, right? (laughs) Nice. But there is a risk factor now with the way that you can maturely tell these stories on CBS All Access. And gosh darn it, I was actually really liking Connor because that's, that's something I'm going to talk about a little bit later. But there were very, oh my gosh, moments or oh my God moments or OMG moments, however you want to choose the vernacular and i think that's something that's always has been kind of left towards the end of a of a of a previous star trek series but now it's like oh, oh, oh and we're 5 right. minutes in oh, and we're 10 <laughs> minutes in so i think that they're not they're not saving anything for any particular dramatic crescendo i think that the story has to unfold the way it needs to unfold in order to keep the audience engaged because aside from it being Star Trek, it has to be a competitive product. And the way that Star Trek and science fiction are are levied today with your sci-fi channels, um, the uh, Expanse and Dark Matter and shows of that nature, you have to have a very mature and and, uh, seriously approached type of format. Now, I know that kind of flies in the face of what a lot of Star Trek optimists like, but we also have to think about fostering in a new audience. I know that's controversial to say, but I think it's the truth.
1: No, I don't think it's controversial at all. um, Because as people have said, our good friend Heather uh, from Shore Leave has said, and this is something that I have said many times because it rings so true. This is somebody's first track. And it's really amazing to think of that. So I look at it with that Veil of of even though all of this stuff is going on now and there are these different changes that are going on in television, this is somebody's first experience with a real series. Um, and I just think that's a great philosophical way to look how things have started so far. Bill?
0: Well, you know, in previous iterations of Star Trek, our crew was always safe. You know, we knew that, you know, during a Next Generation episode, Picard wasn't going to die, most likely, you know? In, in Discovery we kind of get knocked off our complacency as fans because everything is on the table. And I think that's what makes this particular storytelling so compelling is that, you know, we can lose a starship captain that we become attached to inside of two episodes. You mm-hmm. know, she, she, she is one of the best at what she does. She is an, an inspiring leader. She's a mentor. And then all of a sudden she's gone. And it changes the rules for us as fans and as viewers. And I think that's one of the most exciting things of all in this iteration of Star Trek.
2: Do you think some of that was tipped though, when she was given the and credit?
1: Yes. Yeah. Special guest star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, what's interesting about that because I've been thinking about that too. My wife actually said, Oh, I knew something was going to happen because she was touted as a special guest star. Mm-hmm. The thing that's kind of, maybe comforting, but not in a great way is at least according to IMDB, she's in 15 episodes this season. So maybe, you know, I'm hoping that that's accurate. We'll see her, but the unfortunate thing it's only going to be flashbacks. We had, as they said over on mission log live the other night, we had already a great Kirk McCoy and Spock dynamic with the three of the people on the bridge of the Shenzhou. And Mm -hmm. it's already been ripped away from us.
0: It absolutely has. And, you know, Norm, to your point, I think the reason they released the opening credit sequence without the names was because Michelle Yeoh was listed as special guest star. Mm -hmm. Um, But by the same token, you know, uh, Diana Muldar was in the entire second season of Star Trek The Next Generation and got a special guest star credit all season long. So uh, it could go either way, but I'm inclined to believe that that's the reason why.
1: Okay, good stuff. So so of course we have those deaths and I have a feeling that it's not going to be the only ones that we're gonna see. Um, but let's talk, let's talk about the big the big thing that happened in this episode and that's of course Burnham and the decisions she made. Let's talk about the end result first though. Let's talk about the punishment. What did you guys think about that? Um, we have not seen a punishment like this levied in Star Trek history that I can recall. Um, let's start with you, Bill. What did you think? Did it really fit the crime that she, was, that she, was, that she actually pled guilty to? Not that just what she was committed or, or accused of doing. She, she said she's guilty. Just, does that fit the crime?
0: I, I have to believe so. You know, in Star Trek, in the first 50 years, we kind of got lucky. You know, Spock can steal the Enterprise. Kirk can steal the Enterprise. You know, they can do pretty much anything they want to in any of the series. And by the next episode, it's all forgotten about. But there had to be consequences for Michael Burnham in this, this epic story. It's, it's like a novel for television. And when you consider what she did... Um, I I think it does merit the punishment that she's drawn life imprisonment Mm -hmm. there. I'm sure that we'll find in future episodes. There are some who think she got off easy, you know, she got her captain killed for all intents and purposes and she helped start a war. So, um, for me, I, as much as it pains me to say it, I kind of think she did.
1: I don't disagree, uh, too much with that norm. Are you on the same lines, man?
2: You know, the last time they actually levied and listed out this many offenses, somebody got demoted but was given a starship. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the tribunal was really interesting because it was, it was a faceless tribunal, something that you don't really see in Starfleet. The name was faceless power. Starfleet is usually well lit and not anonymous, and you're facing your accusers, you, just like uh, Kirk did in 2009 when he was up on charges for tampering with the Kobayashi Maru scenario. So yes, I think that this is something that is stark new for Star Trek. It, would, it flies in the face of kind of like that, that bright-eyed optimism that we're used to. But at the same time, it's not the 20-second wrap-up that you usually get from a previous series. It's not clean and neat. It's not sterile or sanitary. There are consequences for your actions. And as Kirk said in the Kobayashi Maru scenario to Savik, these are the choices that you have to make and you have to live with them. It's a test of character. Well, her character was tested and she failed. And now she has to live with the consequences of the death of probably someone who is closer to her than anyone else, maybe aside from Sarek. And she has given up everything in terms of her career. So what does that do to somebody? How do you move forward living with those consequences and being held accountable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let me throw a, uh, a space monkey wrench into the whole scenario, though. <laughs> Would it have mattered? Um, in my opinion, even if she was able to talk the captain into firing first, it wasn't going to stop the Klingons from doing what they did. So should that have been taken into consideration? Or are we thinking of that just as fans? And from Starfleet's perspective, that was never an option.
2: I, what do you think, Norm? You know, it would have been an interesting scenario if they actually were successful based on her recommendations, and then she still got the punishment that she was given. Because she did assault an officer. She did disobey the chain of command she did do all of the things that were levied against her that doesn't change the fact that you won or or winning doesn't change the fact that she committed all those atrocities so in the logical scales you know ceric would say like okay i understand that you actually got yourself out of that skirmish based on my advice but the laundry list is still stacked against you you still have to answer for all of the actions that you that you chose to do regardless of the outcome.
1: That's a good point because, and as Bill pointed out just a few minutes ago, or maybe it was, you know, it's confusing because you're both so smart. Um, Kirk had 23 violations of Starfleet regulations and he got a starship. So it's, it's something that we're not used to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bill, what do you think? Would that have mattered uh, if they had fired?
0: I, I don't think so. You know what really comes down to is what she did to Georgiou. You know, uh, if none of that happens, she probably doesn't get imprisoned. She, you know, because we're talking about mutiny. You know, she mm-hmm. she disabled the captain so she could take command of the vessel. You know, subverting the captain's authority. If if Georgiou decides to fire, it's it's almost a non-issue. She does, at least doesn't go to prison. The Shenzo may get destroyed as part of the beginning of the war with the Klingons, but. I don't. Michael Burnham wouldn't necessarily see a penalty from Starfleet. Maybe, you know. Okay. Sure. Sure. Speaking of firing, very nice segue, my friend. Thank you.
1: Um, I noticed, and I've watched this several times to try to figure out if I can answer why this happens. But at the end of the episode, she looks like purposely changes her phaser from stun to kill before she shoots Takuvma in the back. Uh, that's something that's perplexing me because from the angle that we're seeing in that scene, I don't think she could see that the captain had been stabbed and was, for all intents and purposes at that point, dead. Do you agree with that, with the angle? Do you think that she saw that she was killed and she was just rage killing this guy after what after their what they had talked about, what their plan was going to be? Let's we'll start with you, Bill, because I know it's something that we've talked about a little bit already.
0: I I have to believe that. She she killed Takuvma because Takuvma killed Georgiou. Because I think that's the only reason why she deviated from her logical plan. You know, her emotion, at least in my opinion, went over in that moment. And that's why she switched from stun to kill and pulled the trigger. At, at least in my own head, that's really kind of the way it goes down. I, I could be wrong. I absolutely could be yeah. wrong. But for now, that's kind of where I'm at.
1: Man, uh, that for me was was the tougher of the two uh, human emotion trumps Vulcan logic, and we'll get into the other thing that I'm talking about later on when we discuss humanity. But Norm, did you, did you have any thoughts about that in terms of seeing that? By the way, awesome phaser. I want one right now. I, I don't know why that. that
2: hasn't been released yet.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's a very difficult question, um, because they set up her plan so perfectly in the previous scene, where the whole point of her going over there and with Giorgio is to capture Takuvma to make him a prisoner and not a martyr. Mm-hmm. It was logical in every sense of the word because they wanted to break the the Klingon spirit they they wanted to show that we don't have to we don't have to murder your people in order for us to win. We can win by dismantling this, this entire process that you started. By killing him, by choosing to do that, it destabilizes all of the work and all of the sacrifices that they have made up until this point. And I have to believe that the writers were looking at that and saying, there is something that is happening profoundly within Michael Burnham that is forcing her to choose emotion over logic. And I don't know exactly where we're going to see that catalyst ignite. That it may have been the, the destabilization of her own self because of the radiation poisoning, but we saw that the first time where she kind of barked at the captain, and then the second time when she <laughs> when she nerve pinched the captain and assaulted a senior officer, and then, yeah, and then this third time. But this third time, this third time was really, it was really kind of the sticking point because she threw away. All of that planning, all of it, for why did she make that decision? I don't know. So I have to believe it was in the heat of the moment and an emotional choice.
1: Do either of you guys think that she's lost it a little bit? What do you think, Norm?
2: I think that there's something that is that is definitely working on her. I don't mm-hmm. think that we've seen exactly how she's how she's come to this point, but somewhere along the line, in those first two episodes, and, and if we're reading between the lines, as, as we as Star Trek fans do, I think that the first encounter or the first contact with that Klingon and then the radiation poisoning, it, it shifted her reality in a way. And I think it brought back all of the suppressed or repressed emotions that she had about the attack on, on her colony when Sarek found her. So is that at play here? If so, we haven't really seen a lot of that to inform us of that decision, but she seemed so calculating at the very beginning. And then in the second episode, she seemed to be unraveling and making just... I think she was thinking she was making the right choices, but as I as I will expound upon this later, the road is paved with good intentions.
1: Yeah, what I was going to say to that was... I think what's interesting, what the uh, producers of the show have done as they've shown us coming attractions is there's a lot of scenes where she's being not very Vulcan like she's had. a, She's got one scene and looks like the mess hall of the discovery where she's beaten down on someone. Another shot on some desert looks like she's beaten down on a Vulcan. So it looks like this might be something that's going to continue along down in several episodes as we go along. Bill, I think that um, that's another thing that we talked about a little bit is, is what do you think? Has she gone a little uh, off the deep end already just two episodes in?
0: I don't think she's off the deep end, but I do think she's in, in tumult. You know, Spock, you know, being half Vulcan and half human, was always kind of had this internal conflict. And I think that Burnham has a different version of that conflict, whereas Spock was able to regulate his, as a Vulcan, I think Burnham has attempted to do the same, and now she's past the point of no return. I don't think she can regulate her her logical side and her emotional side anymore, and I think that's part of her challenge and her journey at this point.
1: Okay. Awesome. It's It really is going to be interesting to see what happens as we keep going now that she is, for all intents, a convict, all intents and purposes. Yeah. One of the things that happened in this week's episode that I kind of was scratching my head a little about, not in a negative way, but just this isn't what we're used to with the Klingons, but these Klingons are a hundred or, you know, how many years behind what we're used to. And this this empire is obviously in disarray was the body collection of the, of the warriors that had died during the battle we're used to in next generation times that, you know, the, the body is just an empty shell treated as such, I think is the quote that was used once. Um, And here they're expending a tremendous amount of time, energy and resources to get all of those people back to the ship. And then ended up costing them because uh, the captain noticed what they were doing. They were able to put that photon torpedo uh, on the body of one of the Klingons, and it caused the destruction of that flagship. Do you think this is just something that they are exploring the early Klingons that we haven't seen yet, um, or do you think there's more to it?
0: Bill? I I think it's part of takuvma's wanting to bring them back to uh, the old ways, if you will, for want of a better phrase. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they ha- when the torchbearer is killed, they go through this ritual, and it is a ritual. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very dogmatic to some degree. And they take that sarcophagus and they put it on the outside of the ship. And I think that that's what he was in the process of doing. I think that this is part of his vision of getting the Empire back to the ways of Kales. And I don't think that the Klingons of, of today, you know, meaning the TOS era and and subsequent iterations of Star Trek would have done the same thing because they're that far past, uh, the era of K if you will. Okay,
1: good. And, and yeah, it brings up a good point is their starship is covered in sarcophagi or sarcophaguses, whatever the plural is, you know, my grammar is <laughs> not that good. Um, Norm, same same thoughts. Um, I thought it was interesting that you know that man. There were first of all, there were a lot of bodies that they were trying to uh, uh, bring tractor back into the ship, and and
2: one of them had just kind of a little tiny bomb on it. Well, the neat thing about that was is I haven't seen that before in Star Trek, and yeah. mm. it's it was new to me, which I love. I'm like, why are they doing that? The other thing that I found really interesting about that is that it is truly the honorable thing to do to bring your dead back so that they can be buried your military dead back so they can be buried and brought home and made whole and their their souls can rest in peace through these rituals. That, to me, says more about honor than using the word honor itself, which the nice. Klingons always did in Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and you know, it was always, you know, we are about honor. And I never really saw a lot of it yeah. in the shows. Very good point, yep. But that itself, where like that i think that's why takuvma was able to have such and hold such sway over the 24 houses because he believed in the traditions and the traditions i think to the klingon empire are everything which is he is walking his own talk
1: nice nice i don't disagree with you at all i just i was i was i was a little i was a little wow that's interesting that he's doing this doesn't it seem to be a tremendous quote-unquote waste of time thinking that there's a battle going on around them. But I like the I like the answers from both of you guys. One of the last things I wanted to bring up for a discussion point for episode two is actually is a, a nod to the writing staff for episode two because we have already seen some great canon in these two episodes. And I bring up specifically um, the scene where all of the starships arrive to help back up the Shenzhou. Ships like the Shran and the T-Planta as well as the Jaeger and the Earhart. I think that is what, as a Star Trek fan, that's what I love to see. Who would have ever thought that a Federation starship would be named after the man who says pink skin? I just thought it was brilliant, (laughs) and I just wanted to catch you guys' opinion on it.
2: Can I ask a question about that Yeah, for the both of you? Because Shran, and, and we know Shran, he's in Dorian. And the t is Vulcan. Mm-hmm. There it was a tradition at one point in time where these ships were manned by a particular race. Do you mm-hmm. believe that these ships were solely Andorian or solely Klingon at this time?
0: That's cool. that's very possible, knowing that the Intrepid was you know manned by all Vulcans. So mm-hmm. uh, I think in my own headcanon, sure, I think that's a definite possibility. The one downside to all this is, in our world... It means we probably won't see Shran in Discovery. If he's got his <laughs> ship named after him.
1: <laughs> this is oh true. that's a bummer. I didn't think of that, man. That's oh you're okay. welcome. You're way welcome. to way to kill the vibe. That's <laughs> what I do. I I'm looking forward to stuff like that. Of course, we all know Harry Mudd's going to be in pretty soon. We're finally going to see things that we've been waiting for, but I just love little tiny things about that. Another perfect example, some of the Easter eggs that have shown up in these first two episodes, a bottle of Chateau Picard is in Giorgio's office. Um, I think that type of historical references to things that we're used to as Star Trek fans is a way that the writers really show that they are engrossed and what their storytelling is going to be about, and I got to compen- got to commend them for that. So, um, I think that uh, once we have dissected anything else that you saw that was an Easter egg, Bill, uh, I think we have some fan set stuff to talk about afterwards.
0: We absolutely do, um, Dan. You may be aware of this. This week's episode is actually brought to you by FanSets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. You know, they are the place for all of your collectible pin needs. Star Trek, DC Comics, Marvel, Harry Potter, even Firefly. Dan, I know you're a big fan. Fansets (laughs) has just a pin for your favorite genre. We want everyone to head on over to fansets.com and check out their incredible library of products and accessories.
1: Oh, that's that's pretty awesome, buddy. But did you know that they also have uh, a pretty awesome line of pins just
0: for Star Trek Discovery? I had heard a rumor. (laughs) <laughs> I may have heard something about this in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, but uh, True. I suspect you may have more info.
1: I do. Um, it's it's pretty awesome. This first set is out. The pins look fantastic, as all of the fan set pins do. This Series 1 set includes the Discovery logo, Captain Georgiou, Saru Takuvma, the USS Shenzhou, as well as Michael Burnham herself,
0: Vok, and even Ambassador Sarek, man. Oh, Vox, son of none. I have to get me that pin. I love that guy. <laughs> Dan, the pins that I have now are proudly on display at my desk at work. We, Dan, we want you and, and our listeners and everyone else to display them too. As an exclusive offer for Discovering Trek listeners, Fansets has provided us a special discount code for this week only. So go to their website, get all them pins, and enter the code Binary Battle, all one word, Binary Battle at checkout for 10% off your entire order, Dan, but please don't wait. This code will only be available till next Wednesday, October 4th, 2017 at 11 59 PM. Eastern time. Uh, Dan, we love fan sets. As we like to say a set for every fan and a fan for every set. We want everyone to head over to fans fansets.com and check out their entire line.
1: Oh yes. Yes, indeed. And you know, as always, we, we, thank our friends over at fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for the entire season of discovering Trek. So boys, here we are. This is the important part of the show. We really want to delve into our inner thoughts and talk about what we discovered about our own humanity through this episode two uh, of star Trek discovery. Um, it's the, it's the part that we really, uh, think seriously about what we saw and how we can relate it to today. So, Norm, I'm going to start with you, man, because I know mm-hmm. that you've got some great points. And uh, what do you think?
2: About what in specific?
1: Anything. <laughs> Anything about what this episode made you think about our humanity today or the humanity that we saw on the show itself?
2: Well, what I liked about what we were challenged to see in this show is that Again, this isn't um a sterile or sanitary way of approaching science fiction and definitely not for approaching Star Trek itself because there are consequences there's there's like i i loved what uh, Captain Giorgio said that you know that that wars it's it's not it's not a simulation it's it's blood and screaming and dying and funerals and that's what these choices are are driving people towards. Starfleet now is at, a, is at a, a very pivotal point where are we going to be able to survive this based on one really bad decision? Mm-hmm. Was that decision the catalyst for something that is going to shed more blood in the future? So I've, I've kind of culminated my thoughts into that old adage of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think Michael Burnham, with every intention that she had, wanted to do good. She said she wanted to save her captain. She wanted to save all of you, all of you being all of them. She wants to protect them from this inevitable outcome of war. Maybe they were all supposed to be sacrificed in order to show the Klingons that they can defy them through strength. That may or may not be true. We will never know because we didn't see that actually happen. The Shenzo was, was uh, part of a larger uh, conflict there, but She has to now deal with the guilt, the loss, the pain, the suffering, and it's all on her shoulders. Mm -hmm. No one else really is to blame here aside from her because she put everyone into this position when she didn't trust the captain's ability to to become the diplomat because she challenged her. That's the diplomat in you. What does the warrior do say? She should have encouraged more diplomacy and being trained by the Vulcans. She should have really weighed the logical conclusion of what would happen if they chose war. Mm-hmm. So she has to sit with her choices now.
1: Right. It's it's funny that you say that because what I was trying to think about what it, it meant for me in looking at humanity today, I really couldn't come up with a specific example for today, but I did see something in that episode that showed the strength of humanity. And that was in that, that same scene where, where Burnham admitted that saving people was more important than Starfleet's rules and regulations. Um, She knew it was illogical, but she also knew that it was the right thing to do. And to me, that shows that no matter what Vulcan upbringing you had, she's human and those human thoughts and, and, um, and feelings of needing to do something are going to eventually win out. And that's exactly what happened.
2: But saying so, may I interject here? Because I added something, and I, and I sent this to you uh, before we started recording. It's because that she's not raised in the Starfleet tradition that I think she chose to do this. And some people are like, well, no, she is Starfleet. Well, no, she's not.
1: Right. Now, I do agree with you there. She's not Starfleet, but she does also say that she's she has been trained to follow Starfleet rules and regulations. Is that a fine line of what she, you know, because she's not Starfleet, does she not have to follow those rules? It's kind of fine line. I definitely see what you're saying though. Absolutely. Uh, The least human of the group, Bill, what do you think?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I am wearing my alien self tonight. That's a hundred percent. Yes. I had a, I had a couple of thoughts with regard to the humanity we discover in this episode, or at least things that I thought this episode was evocative of. And the first of which I'd have to say would be, you know, in the discussion where Burnham and Giorgio are talking about capturing or killing Takuvma, I thought there were vast parallels here to the global war on terror and the then pursuit of Osama bin Laden, because there was a lot of debate back then about what to do with that kind of enemy and that kind of, of threat. And I think that they manifested it the correct way in this, in this episode. And I thought they dealt with that particular topic really well. And then the other thing it made me think of is that there is, every single time it's employed, there is a cost to war. And I think that that's exemplified in the three significant deaths in this episode. Whether it's a loss of innocence um in in connor getting killed or whether it's losing your your ability to reason with Giorgio getting killed or whether it's you know losing your beliefs in takuvma being killed you know there there are real substantive costs and sometimes they're not always the ones we expect yes they're corporeal in some sense but they often take a toll on those left behind and we start to see that a little bit in the in the uh the scene in the brig when connor is talking to burnham Um, I think those were the things that weighed heaviest upon me, especially since we are in protracted conflicts and have been now for over a decade. So that's kind of where my head was at, at least watching this episode.
1: I think that, uh, this section of the show every week is going to really bring out some very, very interesting discussion topics because of the world we're in right now and how we can relate it to Star Trek. Thanks guys. That's, that's awesome. Awesome examples. Um, Time now, something that we also like to do, it's time for our Starfleet commendations. So what I want you guys to do is uh, take a, a couple of examples, one, two or three things that you really want to specifically call out is something that was awesome in this episode to you. It can be characters, performances, scenes, nothing too over the top, but uh, Norm, what did you think? What do you want to call out for commendation here this week?
2: Well, I think the MVP of this episode by far is going to be Ensign Connor. We've mentioned him wow. many times. We've mentioned him many times because there's the scene in the brig where he's looking for, he's supposed to be going to sick bay after being uh, injured severely on the bridge. And then he looks up and he just, the actor, Sam Vartholomeus, uh, I believe his name is. Yeah. He sells it so well because he's so young and he's so green. And he goes, why are we fighting? We're Starfleet. We're explorers, not soldiers. And as soon as I heard that, my mind instantly clicked to what Scotty said in Into Darkness. He said, you know, we're, aren't, I thought we were supposed to be explorers when right. they're loading these new quantum torpedoes onto the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So there is a line that is towed by certain Starfleet personnel that believes they're out there to explore. But the interesting thing is, is that I don't think that all Starfleet believes that. I think that Starfleet is out there to protect their territory, and they have the ability to explore. But when push comes to shove, much like Archer said, you know he has to be able to defend himself. There was an episode uh, where the aliens they were just attacking the Enterprise for no reason. He's like, "How am I supposed to explore if I can't defend myself?" Mm -hmm. So you're still walking that tightrope of, are we going to be just this very optimistic and positive armada? Or are we going to face the realities that, you know what, somewhere out there, someone's going to have a bigger gun. And we have to be able to defend ourselves.
1: Wow. I love the fact that you brought in some love twice tonight so far for the Kelvin timeline. I think that's awesome. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I wanted to bring out is something that really stood out to me was Saniqua Martin-Green. And specifically, one scene. It's a very quick scene, but it's so powerful. Giorgio's dead. She wants to bring her body back to uh, the Shenzhou, and Saru's not going to let her. He needs to get her out of there. And when she beams back onto the ship, and she's looking at an empty transporter pad, that scene, the facial expression, the sounds that that are just coming out of her mouth, that was the most gut, that was more gut wrenching to me than the actual death of of, of the captain, and we've seen already from the work that Sonequa Martin Green has done. That to me was just over the top. Great, great, uh, acting and storytelling. It was just great. Bill, what do you got, man? Talk to
0: us. I want to be sure Norm gets a chance to finish all of his, I, I, I imagine he's got more commendations.
1: Oh yeah. I figured we'd just bounce around a little
0: bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I've got two really simple ones. Um, I have to agree with Norm, that scene in the brig between Connor and Burnham, I think is my favorite scene in the episode. He's clearly suffering from head trauma, and uh, he's gone in, in far too brief an instant. And my only other note is that battle. That is the best battle we've ever seen in a Star Trek series, even including Deep Space Nine. I loved the phaser action, and for those who complain that's not what phasers are like, I direct you to rewatch Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, because those phasers can do those things. Um, <laughs> it, it's it was. I've been watching that those scenes over and over and over since Sunday, and that battle is amazing and compelling. It really is. <laughs>
1: It really, really is. And like, yeah, we we talk about how great the battle scenes were in Deep Space Nine. The scope of this. I love when you have the far distant camera angle and you have, gosh, how many were there? 30, 40 ships on screen when they just start open firing on the Federation. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And I'm sure it is, uh, it's just the tip of the iceberg as to... Um, As to what they're going to be showing us. No, I'm going to get to your next commendation. I want to just throw mine real out there real quick so that people wouldn't have to listen to my voice as much. And that is, man, that is what I call a Klingon blade. I mean, we have always talked about how the Klingons prefer blades as their primary weapons. They freaking made a whole ship out of one giant blade so they could cut through other starships. That is pretty cool stuff, man. I want to see more of that ship.
2: (laughs) That was super surprising. I was like, uh, when the, when the uh, Admiral was kind of bouncing around in his holographic form, I'm like, what's going on? And then the reveal, was jaw dropping. I'm like, wow, that <laughs> hasn't been done in Star Trek before. So, nope. <laughs> yeah, nope. that was really neat. Um, I actually have just two smaller commendations, and one has to do with Sarek. I love James Frain. I'm a big James Frain fan. I yes. loved him in *Orphan Black*. Um, I believe, which I think you guys are watching right now, and he was, he was doing, uh, I think, something that we haven't seen yet, and it was this, uh, this Katra projection that he uh, established with Burnham after she uh, was attacked as a child. We saw the double mind meld that was performed on her. And I think the only other time, as far as I remember, that being done was in Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country where Spock had to pull deep memory out of Valeris. So that is obviously significant. And being able to mentally project himself to her when he feels that she is in her most dire circumstances, I think is actually really neat also. But I I did a little kind of um, temporal foo. And I said, well, if Sarek now has this connection with Burnham, and now Burnham's carrying that post-Sarek, that means that when Picard mind melds with Sarek and Sarek and TNG, Picard can now feel Burnham. And then when Spock also mind melds with um, Picard in the end of Reunification Part 2, that means that he can also feel Burnham.
0: Whoa. Wow. (laughs) That is some some temporal food. That's amazing.
2: Just going there, in a way. Oh, and also, (laughs) um, I had something that was kind of funny. I just wrote it out really quick. It was, the devil in the dark is in the details. Because everything about that... um, some of the continuity things that I love about Star Trek, the, the bridge sound effect sequence, the doors, mm. uh, just uh, the, the, of the evolution of the phasers and, and the way that the opening credits kind of harken back to Alexander Courage's original few, first few notes. You feel that. You feel instantly that you're transported back into mm. Star Trek. And I think that those small details, even though they're not specifically canon, quote unquote canon, those are the things, sights and smells and sounds that allow fans those throwbacks that make it yes. feel like yes. it's ours again.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I remember very distinctly being at the Hollywood premiere a couple of weeks ago. Sorry, Bill. Um, and um, <laughs> whenever the, the first time that they had a mashup of TOS and then immediately a TNG sound together John Champion and I were just looking at each other with the biggest grins on our faces because as fans, it's so great to hear sounds like that. I know there'll be a lot of people who go, that's not right. TNG was so much further off down the road. I personally think that the writers will have explanations for things like this, and I'm looking forward to hearing them until they don't explain it. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and just enjoy it. And and uh, all the different things, the sights and the sounds that you talked about, Norm, are all great as Star Trek fans. We get to experience that all again after so long. Mm-hmm. We're two episodes in. we got 13 to go. So it's time for our long-range scan for predictions. Long-range scan of planet complete. Okay, Norm. So episode three is coming up very soon in only a few days' time. hmm What do you think? What do you have for a prediction for either episode three or just further along down the uh, episodic arc as we take this journey?
2: So I'm going to put on like my big boy geek pants right now, and I'm going to go all the way back to an old science fiction show. This This is a science fiction show way before CD players were invented or DVD players or even the internet in a way. I'm a huge Battlestar Galactica fan, the original Battlestar Galactica from 1978 to 1979. And when I saw the previews for what they're going to do with Michael Burnham and the Discovery, it was very akin to an episode that I loved. It's a two-part episode called The Gun on Ice Planet Zero. Yes. Yes, everyone. I just blew your <laughs> mind. So <laughs> the Gun on Ice Planet Zero was the Battlestar Galactica version of the Dirty Dozen. Yes, I'm I'm crossing so many streams. And... The way that I see it, Michael Burnham is now disavowed from Starfleet, but it doesn't necessarily mean she's without note or without worth. And I'm going to reference what Sarek said is one thing that he cannot abide is um, a waste of resources. He's invested too much into Michael Burnham from an intellectual uh, and, and personal standpoint. I think that in her life sentencing, there may be some type of... Um, Commuting of her sentence where she is going to become an expendable member of an expeditionary task force that needs to wow. destabilize the Klingon Empire covertly. Section 31, maybe? Possibly. That's what I'm thinking because we're looking at the ship and the ship is a variation of designs. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, we're going in kind of like the Pegasus style of Section 31, right? Sure. So I think that the discovery is going to be manned with this type of dirty dozen scenario where there are... Because look at the people that she was talking to on that space shuttle. They look like criminals.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But they're all going to be, I think, in some way associated with an actual Starfleet crew a la, say, the Starfleet and the Maquis in Voyager. Okay. But they all have to go through a certain trial by fire and trust each other because Burnham is not trusted now by Starfleet Mm-hmm. But she does have the knowledge. She was there. She made first contact with the Klingons. She knows maybe their strengths and weaknesses, and she has a personal vendetta against them now. And perhaps that's what the Discovery needs. Maybe they need that, the officers to not think like Starfleet. Wow. But what's that going to do with the perception and the audience's perception of what Star Trek is? But you have to... Joseph Campbell, in terms of his mythology, says a hero has to travel to its darkest points in order to become part of the light again and become a true hero. I think that this is the discovery that we're talking about. Burnham is going to have to reach rock bottom in order to atone for the mistakes that she's made in this episode.
1: I don't know if you can get much more rock bottom than watching your captain die, but uh, uh, huh, that's going to be quite quite the ride. Bill, I'm going to give my quick long-range scan and then wrap it up with you. Mine's very, very quick. Um, it's not really... It may not have a lot to do with the storyline, but we have never seen the shadows that we saw when she was being sentenced. That one guy sitting at the table was in complete darkness while the other two people sitting next to him weren't. I want to know who that guy is. I want to know what he's doing if he's section 31. And I think that he is going to play a part later on down the season. I don't know when, but I feel really strongly that we're going to see that guy and find out who it is. And it's going to be an oblique moment moment when it happens.
0: Interesting. I like, I like both of those. I'm going to focus my long range scan on the Klingons. Um, Last week I said that we may find that there's a a power behind Takuvma that we has yet to be revealed. Um, (laughs) I guess that's kind of out the window now that Takuvma is no longer anywhere. Let's be honest. (laughs) Um, So I I think that Cole is going to come an absolute major player Mm-hmm. And maybe not willingly. I think that everyone's concentrating on Vok in fandom right now. And I don't know if, if Vok, son of none, has the juice to get the job done. I think that Cole is going to wind up uh, in control somehow. And I think that Cole is going to be the driving force behind the war. That's my prediction.
2: You know, actually, I like that because when you're looking at the Klingons of the TOS era, if Cole is the the predominant yes. faction of the Klingon twenty four houses, that means now there you get, um Kor, and Koloth, and Kang, mm-hmm. all from that house, and perhaps that is the the house that we are just exposed to in the original series. That's right. that's the Klingon faction that we see amongst the 23 houses, unless the other 23 houses go the way of the five families and the Godfather.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I like that uh, that thinking, Bill. One of the other things that actually uh, I think you're right about is because in the previews that we've seen, it looks like uh, Cole is, is really taking control of things. It looks like there's a battle sequence that's going to be going on with him. And I think at one point, uh, we mentioned in STLV that the poster of him, he looked like he was wearing a Starfleet insignia on his uniform. And one scene that we saw for coming attraction, he's actually like rubbing a Starfleet insignia between his fingers. So I like the idea of him becoming a major player. And uh, I guess we're gonna find out sooner rather than later if that's the case. But um, also, guys, I did want to take another moment uh, to talk about a very, very special announcement from fansets. As you know, As we said, they are our official sponsor of this here very podcast, and we love the pins that they're creating. But starting now, Fansets is changing the way that you collect pins. And what you need to do is head on over to episodepins.com to order your very own episode
0: pin collection. So what exactly does this mean? Every episode is going to have its own unique pin and it will tell the story of the entire 15 episode arc of Discovery's first season. As a season one pass holder, you will get 16 pins, one for each episode, and then a special season pass holder pin, which we've seen. And it looks just as amazing as all the other pins that fansets has pins will ship in two sets Uh, Four to to six weeks after the eighth episode airs, the first eight pins will ship along with the season pass holder pin. And then four to six weeks after the last episode of the season airs in 2018, the remaining eight pins will ship then.
1: It's really great. We've seen a couple of the pins episode one and episode two. Uh, They really look fantastic as does the season pass holder pin that Bill just mentioned. Uh, But in order to get that special season pass pin people you must order the episode collection before midnight on october 29th 2017 orders after ten twenty nine will still receive all of the 15 episode pins but you won't get that additional season pass pin i think it's worth it to order early because it really looks great uh so once again head on over to episode pins.com for additional details on this great new way to collect
0: you know dan it seems like we always have exciting fan sets news and believe it or not, we're actually not done. If you want to take part in choosing what a future Star Trek pin will be, go on over to the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas Las Vegas convention page on Facebook and vote in their Pick the Pin campaign. So from now until midnight on October 14th, 2017, you can vote for what you would like to see as a set's Star Trek pin. Characters from any Star Trek series, excluding Star Trek Discovery, are in play. That means villains, aliens, mirror universe, any character you can think of. You can only vote once, and October 15th, the character with the most votes will be created as a collectible pin by our friends at Fansets. So again, for more information, please head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention. Wow. Wow. I'm
1: voting for Garrick. I'm saying that right now. <laughs> I'll put that out there. No spoiler alert there, people. Um, <laughs> that's 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 great stuff. Fansets is great. But you know what, boys? Uh, it looks like that's going to do it uh, for episode two. So, Bill, uh,
0: what do we have coming in for next week, my friend? Well, Dan, next time on Discovering Trek. <laughs> we'll take a look at Star Trek Discovery's third installment, an episode called Context is for Kings. And joining us to break down the episode will be Heather Barker from the Shore Leave podcast over on the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network and also the original Trek Geeks girl, I might add, as well as Aaron Harvey from Saturday Morning Trek and The Edge over at Trek FM, which is their dedicated Star Trek Discovery podcast. Dan.
1: Wow, that is uh, some good stuff. Looking forward to uh, to meeting them. I'll have a great story next week on meeting Aaron face to face, kind of finally when we were in Hollywood a couple of weeks ago. I will look forward to telling that. But uh, right now, uh, Norm, gotta gotta say thanks for being here with us, man. It is so great to finally hook up with you again. Talk some Star Trek. We've got a great season ahead of us, and I can't think of anyone more to have on the show to talk about episodes than you, my friend.
2: Oh, thanks so much, guys, for having me. And I was really, really sad that I wasn't able to, to join you and to celebrate uh, the greatness that was happening with you guys over there at Star Trek Las Vegas. I know that it's the 30th anniversary of The Next Generation, and I know that next year is the 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine, so we're going to have to do something awesome about that. But I congratulate you. I congratulate your relationship that you have now with the uh, the fan pin sets uh, and and your your continued success with all of the fans here, uh, not just on discovering, um, discovering Trek, but also on Trek geek. So you guys are doing a great job with community. And I'd like to say just one thing about the community moving forward with, with discovery. I think that we should all move forward together. We're, we're stronger together than we are apart. We've always been that way with star Trek, that star Trek's mantra. And I think that if we all move together and see what's ahead and accept, you don't have to agree. We can always agree to disagree, but just accept and respect each other's opinions and thoughts and intentions with infinite diversity and infinite combination leading the way. I think that we all can find common ground on discussing Star Trek. And I think that's really important for us right now.
1: Wow. Uh, I don't think truer words have ever been spoken, my friend. Thank you so much for those words and for joining us tonight. Uh, So, to sum up, the war has started. Burnham's in Chains and hopefully we will actually see the Starship Discovery very soon. Uh, Plus, you know, I gotta say, I no longer have a head start on Bill in watching episodes like I did with episode one and two thanks to that Hollywood premiere. So I guess I'm gonna have to buckle in and get ready to uh, to, to, to meet the challenge with my co-host. So until next episode, remember what Captain Kirk once said. How we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life.
0: Music for Discovering Trek is provided by 5-Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks, executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.